0: Now, drug use and addictions to harmful drugs, such as cocaine, are apparently rampant in parts of the country. And recently, a Limerick farmer has anonymously shared his struggles with addiction with the Sunday World newspaper. The farmer revealed he would often be high on cocaine when working. And on one occasion, he hit his shed 20 times as he tried to reverse a tractor. And addiction counsellor based here in Limerick, Kieran Carey, is on the line to react to all of this. And good morning to you. Good morning, Joe. How are you this morning, I'm Pat? good, thank
1: you. I'm good. good. Um, so what do you make of this story? Does it surprise you at all? I suppose there's a bit of a spotlight on the farming community this week, this week, Joe, in particular, with the milk, the butter, now the cocaine. So, yeah, it doesn't really, Joe. And I suppose in the last number of years, in a professional capacity, I will be seeing farmers, and presently with three or four of them, actually, on our program here. And I suppose the danger there, really, Joe, when you're working in the farming community, when cocaine is alive, which it is, and weed, I suppose, you know, with the modern tractors and the machinery and cutting silage, spreading slurry, moving cattle, you know, it has the potential to be extremely dangerous. But, Joe, the last time I was on, it's of the highlight this as well. This just isn't in the farming community. This is rampant across the borderline.
0: Right. Uh, And just in terms of the Sunday World story and the farmer in County Limerick who spoke to them, he talked about his struggle with a €4,000 a month cocaine addiction that lasted almost five years. I mean, do the financial numbers on that alone. He says, I'd be in the tractor and I would lean back on the seat to take it. I would use the key of the tractor to take a bit from the bag And use it that way. I could be walking across the yard and do the same. And he remembers how the drug gave him a, a sense of confidence. And took away his fears and worries, insecurities. But the drug use kept increasing. And it became an addiction. And I was completely powerless as a result and he said his addiction had devastating consequences on his life and his work uh, which saw him even driving tractors under the influence of cocaine and uh, he said uh, I would have been reluctant uh, to take cocaine if you offered it to me unless I knew there was a chance of more because I knew that once I took it the compulsion meant I'd have to have more and uh, talks too about going on um to uh, counseling and having unfortunately to go back to for further counseling before he finally managed to get past uh, this addiction and uh, he says my family and friends thought i was distracted for other reasons so they'd help me on the farm to make sure the animals were looked after he said the issue is widespread among his peers in the farming community, with many having no one to check if their cattle have been fed. It's become a very serious issue because it is being pushed on people. I know one man who sold all his livestock to pay for his drug habit, and I know there are farmers who have had cattle die in the shed due to starvation caused ultimately by cocaine addiction. Now, Kieran Carey, that is pretty frightening stuff, isn't it?
1: Without a doubt, Joe, and, and I suppose that type of language and lingo, Joe, I suppose I'm listening to that now for the last 10 years. And I know one particular case, actually, he just had half his farm to pay, pay back his drug debt. I think his drug debt at the time might have been about 45 to 50 grand. And I suppose that chap who shared his story on the Sunday World, I suppose the big one really, thank God he reached out and got well, number one. But Joe, if he stayed engaging in cocaine, probably he'd end up eventually inside in his room taking cocaine in isolation and inevitably, inevitably, Joe, it probably, if he stayed engaged in it, it would take his life. It is absolutely devastating and destroying families across the country. And, you know, thankfully, thankfully he highlighted this world, you know, and I think as as a nation, as a country, Joe, we could be in denial to that or probably slightly deluded to that, you know, but, you know, we need to take our head out of the sand and, and I suppose look at the severity of the problem And I suppose it needs to be fully treated in accordance to the severity of it because it's a killer disease, it has killed, it's still killing, and it will continue to kill Joe, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Uh, Professor Colin O'Gara... Um, who is an expert in this area, says the use of cocaine can have severe physical and mental impacts. On the physical side, there are a lot of cardiac problems, arrhythmias, the development of cardiovascular emergencies, burst blood vessels in the brain, increased blood pressure. In terms of mental health, depression and psychosis are huge issues. The more you take, the more you predispose yourself to developing psychosis, which is a serious psychiatric condition where you lose touch with reality. And, and, I mean, Kieran, look, you know, drugs t- to a greater or lesser degree have always been there, have always been with us in society. I suppose there was a time when, you know, it was the abuse of alcohol and that does remain prominent in Ireland. But, but the issue of other kinds of drugs and especially cocaine, it feels more recent than that. But I know from what you've been saying over the last couple of years, people may not realise that it can be in every nook and cranny of people's lives in every community in Limerick.
1: Of course Joe, and Joe, I suppose one word really kind of illustrates that it has no boundaries. It doesn't really mind where you work, what age you are, or how many in your family. You know, and, you know, usually people, when they're engaging in cocaine at the start, you know, to do, uh, as the gentleman shared, you know, he got a high and he thought it was great. But, you know, most people who engage in a job and, and I suppose experiment in it, whether they're 18 or 23 or 17, you know, they automatically think they're bulletproof, number one, and number two, it won't happen to me. Mm. Mm. Well, it starts off pretty small, but it's a progressive disease, a progressive illness, and the longer one engages in it, it gets progressively worse as time goes on. It's like the steps of the stairs, Joe. It only goes one way and one way only. And I suppose along that journey, then you'd have an awful lot of people that probably would go in the ring, try to fight it themselves, and try to give it up themselves. And inevitably, their coke usage is getting more, and the bills that they owe for cocaine is also getting more. You know, your man said there he owed four grand. Joe, that's that's something that I listen to every day of the week, the amount of, the amount of money that yeah. people owe and debt for cocaine.
0: Yeah, we're chatting to Addiction counsellor Kieran and Kerry this morning. The other point being that, you know, the people who are supplying these drugs, uh, it's coming through criminal networks, they don't have the slightest interest in the quality of it, ultimately, do they? Or what else might be in it? Uh, you know, I mean, you're not, talking about uh, a safe supply of cocaine. Not that there's such a thing, but you know what I mean.
1: No, and I actually watched a documentary the other night myself, Joe, and actually I think it was over in in Africa and they were making cocaine and growing cocaine and they were going through the various stages, right? It left this particular field and I think uh, the farmer at the time paid 1,500 for a a gram or whatever it was. By the time then it got to the streets, it had probably five times the value of it. And it was cut every time that it went. So, And at the end of the day, Joe, if there's someone desperate for a bag of Coke, you know, and if they see the bag of Coke, and if they see the white in the bag, bottom line is that's all they see. So mm-hmm. they, they are convinced that it's the real MacKay. But the bottom line is it could be mixed with talcum powder or any kind of powder or kind of rat poison. So you're taking a serious chance.
0: You are every time. Uh, and here's an interesting one, Kiron. Um, a listener's been in touch, obviously remaining anonymous when you hear the comments saying a 15 year old, we believe is using cocaine. We know the family. What does Kiron suggest we do? Our children are pals with this lad and we're at a loss as to how to approach this. We can't face going to the parents. What if we're wrong? But we're pretty sure, says this listener.
1: Well, if if that listener, Joe, is pretty sure, you know, and and I suppose an awful lot of people out there, you know, are actually caught between that rock and hard place to tend to kind of mind their business. We don't want to go to them. We don't want to bring the shame and the guilt and all that goes with it. But what what I would be suggesting in, in that particular scenario, Joe, you know, that it's a given that they have to meet the parents, sit down, have a cup of tea, and share their concerns, and I suppose share their concerns with love. And that... That usually gets them across the line, Joe, because sitting back, doing nothing, that 15-year-old in five years' time potentially could be on the streets or potentially could be in jail or potentially could be dead. Mm. Tell me, Kiran, are you
0: shocked at 15-year-olds or, or would that surprise you massively that it's that young?
1: Well, Joe, actually, I saw a client yesterday. He was 20 years of age and he took his first line of cocaine when he was 12, so you're asking me, does it shock me? No, it doesn't.
0: I, I don't know. I, I just find it very hard to get my head around this.
1: Um. Yeah, there's a huge shift, Joe. There's a huge shift. And, you know, and you know, definitely for the last number of years. And, and even in schools, you know, even in schools, the vaping. Uh, I've noticed there recently, you know, everybody vapes. But there's certain stuff then that you can buy online that would be equivalent to weed or hash and to big kind of young guys who are who are in school and to be buying that and you know and I suppose that then is their little gateway into mm. that into that journey. So if if they're getting that online, it's only a matter of time then before the little touch up to weed and to cocaine. So it, it is pretty it is pretty serious Joe presently at the moment across all sectors and even in national schools. I'll be doing presentations and I'm often asked at the end of a presentation, I throw it open to question and answers. Uh, where do, what do we do, what can we do as parents and, you know, and I suppose I, I always say, I suppose your greatest education that you can give your loved ones, your beautiful kids possibly, first of all, is at home in your own castle, number one and have, this, have the discussion about drugs, have the discussion about weed and hash and kind of have it fairly open and you know most, most young people you know, if they're pretty solid emotionally 16, 17, 18, 19 they don't tend to follow the sheep, Joe but if they are a bit rattled and they're probably going through a bit of stuff, then chances are, you know, they'll follow the cheap and they'll be a bit of a squeeze put on. They're going on a night out. There's three or four of them taking it and they're probably putting a bit of peer pressure go on go and take it. So it can start anywhere really, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I
0: don't know. Um, and, and do you think that there's a bit of an age divide here that there's a generation of parents who experienced a different type of culture? you know, which, frankly, would have been more alcohol-dominated. And they just can't grasp it, like I was saying a few minutes ago, that this is a clear and present danger for their children.
1: Without a doubt, Joe, that's why I mentioned a while ago, you know, there's a possibility the country could be slightly in denial to this problem, to this, actually, sitting a million miles away from an epidemic now, to be honest with you. And, you know, you know yourself back in the 90s, okay? Alcohol was strong enough, you know. There was always a bit of a bit of coke, but I suppose, you know, possibly the person who drive the Mercedes or the Lamborghini or the big cars back in the day might have been touching coke. But presently at the moment, Joe, it is everywhere. Like, I'd shock you with the type of people and the personnel and the profession that people are seeing that are engaged in cocaine. Nice. Um, and... I mean, what can we do
0: about it, Kira? I mean, obviously you are, you know, uh, very active uh, in terms of your private work, but also you're more than willing to talk uh, on this forum and other media forums around it because I think you think it's important. But, what I mean, is there any answer to this? Or is this going to be um, a permanent fixture in the lives of young people from now on? Cocaine.
1: Well, the pattern and for the last four or five years, right, it's permanent for the last four or five years. And if anything, actually, it appears to be cranking up a little notch all the time. Because, as I said to you a while ago, you know, a day doesn't go by here that I get three or four distraught calls from parents who are absolutely devastated. Similar to the story on the Sunday World, mightn't be the same occupation and might be kind of trying to pay off probably a seven grand or a ten grand drug debt on behalf of their son or their daughter and drug dealers putting squeezes on them. So it's absolutely devastating, Joe. So, So are you saying then that there could be instances where the very first
0: time that parents realize that their youngsters are taking cocaine is when they get approached in a less than polite manner by a drug dealer looking for money?
1: What I'm saying, Joe, is that person who's engaged in it, who owes about five or six or seven grand, eventually hasn't the pin- money, eventually hasn't the penny, is emotionally broken, and has no choice at that stage of his life only to go to his mother and father. And at times, Mammy and Daddy are only alerted at that stage. So that'll, that'll give you an idea of the devastation. Yeah. And how
0: they have to cope with that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know I know. there are people listening to this who are kind of probably laughing at my naivety about this, but I, I don't know. Anyway, a listener says, Joe, I was standing in the pharmacy last week with my teenage daughter and we were beside the contraceptives. I picked up the box of condoms and I told her I'd no problem talking to her at any point about these if she wanted me to. She turned to me and said, it would be more in your line to talk to us about cocaine. The kids at school are sniffing in the toilets. I nearly fell out of where I was standing, Joe. Big problem. Kieran Carey is absolutely right.
1: Well, so, hopefully, I'll share this. It's about three or four weeks ago. It was a Saturday. And, you know, sometimes I might get an old, a little call to to McDonald's for a Mac chicken sandwich. So I was in for a Mac chicken sandwich and a Coke. And I was sitting down and I was facing the benches in Dora Dyle, right, while I was waiting for my order. And this guy just caught my eye. He was on the phone. He was about 30 yards away from me, both. Fifteen or sixteen, and he, would, he appeared to be kind of jumpy. But he was on the phone. Put the phone down within the next three minutes. A young guy passed on a bicycle. The deal was done there in the space of five or six seconds. That was about half two on a Saturday outside McDonald's, and it was right in front of me. I wasn't looking for it, but that will give you an idea, uh, I suppose, how alive it is.
0: Right. Um, so I, I mean, obviously, you know, you you must, despite the difficulties of the work that you're doing, you must really enjoy it. I mean, you must feel that you are making a, a contribution and, and helping people off this and through these addictions.
1: Yeah, and I suppose what we're talking about there up to now, Joe, I, I, I suppose it's a bit of reality, and I suppose it sounds kind of depressed, depressive in a way, but the good news is, you know, when people reach out and when people come in to get help, when they get assessed, And when they're on a recovery program, then they can get their life back in order. And not only them, but their families. So a lot of people do get well. Uh, The people eventually who kind of throw the towel in and say, enough is enough. You know, there's surely a better life than this. But, Joe, you know, it's an illness and it's a disease. And unfortunately, it's the only illness and it's the only disease that will tell you you haven't got it, number one. But to answer your question, Joe, I'd be honest, I, I love what I do. I have great pride in what I do, so I don't even see it as work, if you know what I mean. I do, because You're there and, you know, you're only facilitating somebody and you're trying to guide them down a certain road to get well. And I suppose when you do see people getting well, getting their lives back in order and their family, the family support that we have to offer, when everybody kind of are on singing from the same hymn sheet, healing and getting well together. Yeah, it's lovely to see it. It's, it's a miracle, actually, at yeah. that stage when you come be with
0: that. OK, listen, before we let you go, and on a different and much more optimistic note, I presume you'd remain quite confident in the Limerick Senior hurlers that they'll be still in the shake-up in both Munster and at All-Ireland level in 2023.
1: I do. I suppose it's early days for them. I suppose what Limerick are going through at the moment, I suppose, it's new for all of us and it's new for uh, it's new for the setup up because... You know, the last time there was a small shink in the armour to about 2019. And I suppose this particular time we've kind of, for the last two games, we're not used to seeing Limerick like that. But, you know, I think with the experience and the standard of hurling and the management that's there, you know, there's only one way and one way to put this right, I suppose. The next game, I suppose, deliver a performance that Limerick are probably, I suppose, accustomed to doing, number one. And probably the players know themselves that they probably have to deliver it. So I would be confident of that, Joe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Kieran, Kerry, thank you. You're doing really, really important uh, work. Uh, uh, almost on a par to what you did in the hurling field. Maybe more important <laughs> in real terms. In real terms. But anyway, listen. We yeah. appreciate your time and thanks so much because I do think it is important. We're trying to give listeners a sense of you know. The, the reality on the ground here and and what uh, people like you are are facing day to day in your work. So, thank you for your time. That's Kieran Carey there.
1: Your views, your news, your Limerick today with Joe Nutch on Live 95.